0: The Podfix
1: Network. Hello, and welcome to episode 215
2: of the Filmmakers Podcast. Yay! <laughs> This is a podcast where we talk
1: filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make
2: them and how to try not to... Do it so badly that you never work in this town again.
1: (laughs) Welcome. Yeah, you, you you did well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. Today we have on for you the guest, the wonderful filmmaker Jennifer Sheridan. She has made the fantastic feature film Rose a love story and um, we're going to dive deep into that with her and have so much fun with her uh, we're going to dive in deep about how she made that but also about her career so far and how she made and how I met her, the fantastic short film called Rocket, which she made with just her and her dog. ever anyway, my co-host today, let me introduce him. You've actually heard his dulcet hair uh, swinging in the breeze, <laughs> I imagine. Or his beard rubbing against the microphone, because it is long and luxurious. Um, but I would like to welcome the fantastic cinematographer, Andrew Roger. Hello, buddy.
2: Hello, mate. That's a lovely intro. Thank
1: you. Thank you. One day you'll do it for me. Uh, Andrew Roger, cinematographer of some amazing feature films, um, not mine. On that note, no,
2: and some not not so amazing feature
0: films as well. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he has also uh, been uh, behind the lens for films such as The Dare um, World of Darkness Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot which just all happen to be directed by me amazing
2: films and also directed by Giles Orson. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I've also um, lensed some other amazing feature films including Confession which is coming out very soon Lucinda Rhodes-Takara's production starring Cole Meany and Stephen Moyer um, so that, look out for that very soon and you've also you're also some, for some amazing commercials and promos
2: yeah I shot a thing for I can probably talk about it now. I shot a thing for Connor Maynard yesterday oh did you do oh you did that with Tom um, With Tom Conlon yeah Tom Conlon called me up thanks for that mate by the way I, I met him in LA but great he gave you a gig that's
1: fantastic And you, Connor yeah, he's a lovely bloke he's very a, much appreciate he's it he's a very yeah. uh, well known sort of UK based singer Um, he's probably travelled I mean, generally, yeah, he's, a yeah. Yeah, he's a singist. he's a singist, nice. So it's so it's good that you've been doing a bit of work. Um, been a bit
2: busy. Things are ramping up again. Yeah, a couple films in the works.
1: Ooh, yeah. I look forward to hearing about those. What did you take from Jennifer Sheridan's uh, episode, which is coming up?
2: Yeah, lovely talking with Jennifer. She's brilliant. Learned about how how she came up. Really, um, how she was an editor. Um, how that helped her, what that taught her about being a filmmaker. Oh, and why, why, why you should make a short, reasons for making a short, reasons for making a feature.
1: What, what I took from this and what you lovely people listening will hopefully learn from this is that she talks about uh, where you should do your homework, but know it will change when you get on set. She also talks about not having too many expectations, which I really liked. Uh, and also how you deal with the millions of decisions that get thrown at you every day when you're on set. It's really enjoyable uh, chatting to her. I really enjoyed it too, Andy. I think Rose, A Love Story is an absolute delightful film. Um, it stars Matt Stokey who also wrote it and Sophie Rundell Um, if you haven't seen the movie yet which has just come out it won't surprise me but please do seek it out it's a wonderful, wonderful indie film and you'd be surprised how much she actually made it for which she doesn't talk about on the episode itself but uh, she's an absolute delight and a wonderful filmmaker and I can't wait to see what she does next so before we get there, before we get to Jennifer Sheridan and chatting away as we did first of all thank you so much for those who listened to last week's two episodes the one with christopher smith the fantastic uh, director who's made creep severance triangle and the banishing which is doing really well by the way now so if that's any of you that have watched it i'm sure chris will be overjoyed so thank you for listening to that and also the mank special well that went down an absolute storm with you lot for us talking to hod's talking to people not necessarily we always talk to on this podcast was brilliant so if you haven't listened to that it's talking to uh, the makeup designer the costume designer production designer and the cinematographer it's an absolute delight how they work with david fincher and they're all nominate for baftas or oscars right now You're hearing it from the people who are winning at the moment, (laughs) so go listen. We have a competition, and well, we did have a competition. We have our competition winners to announce. For those of you who did enter, this was our competition where you could get two hours' worth of crowdfunding, facts, information, and knowledge from the fantastic Peter Story at Greenlit. You could also win 30 minutes with me, but better than that, you get CineCircle for a year for all their events and everyone who entered, every single person who entered gets the 10 Myths of Crowdfunding Masterclass with Peter Story. This is an absolute winner. So for those of you who entered, drum roll please Andy. The winners are Ned Haley Ray. You're the first winner out of the bag, congratulations, you win all those amazing things. The second winner, Andy, is... mary jane Lowe! congratulations to you and the final winner of these amazing amazing prizes is james webber congratulations to the three of you do get in touch um with myself with peter's story and um, you win all those prizes and like i say everyone else who entered does get the 10 minutes of screenwriting course that will be announced when that is soon you'll get an email in your box and hopefully you can be there um there you go right that was pretty cool our patreon uh, for those of you who've uh, now joined us with our new fantastic levels thank you uh, it is going from strength to strength and it's really cool you can get some amazing things plus discounts off our merch plus you get podcasts before the rest of the world you can get so many other benefits like Q&A live streams um, and early access what more do you want? go to our Patreon page patreon.com forward slash filmmakers dot
2: com hashtag save Andy <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag save Andy from himself. So there are our winners
1: and that's our Patreon.
2: Yeah. So anyway, Jos, what have you been up to?
1: Oh, ah, thank you for asking. I've literally just handed in, again, I've probably said this for the last couple of weeks, but I have because we had to go back in and make final tweaks of The Stranger in Our Bed, my latest direct directorial ah, work feature film starring Emily Barrington, uh, Samantha Bond, Ben Lloyd-Hughes, Barr Edwards, uh, Andy Osho, Nina Wadia and the fantastic Joseph Marcel, who is the butler in The Fresh Prince of Bella Wow, legend. So we've just handed that in, Andy. Um, that feels good.
2: Fucking brilliant, yeah. I just swore for no
1: reason. Yeah, it's a good, good fucking reason. And also, myself and Noel Sullivan have been diving in deep onto our, our comedy scripts, so we've been doing that. We have two other projects that might be going very, very soon as well. So basically, just getting my head down and working really hard to make sure that they go ahead. I think we just kind of what we have to do right now is just keep knocking on those doors. And I'm trying to close a film's finance right now um, as well. So wish me luck. And hopefully when I've done that, I can tell you all about how we did it. All right, Should we uh, dive into today's podcast? Let's do it. This is the fantastic Jennifer Sheridan. Enjoy, everyone.
3: Hey, Jen, how are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm in a hotel room in Manchester, which is very glamorous. It's very glamorous. I
1: was wondering what was behind you because I thought that's a really nice little flat you've got going on.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, it's good practice for having to live in hotel rooms is living in a studio flat, which is what I've been living in for the last six months. So this feels like home.
1: So uh, Andrew Roger is my cinematographer. It's not my cinematographer. Andrew Roger is a Oh cinematographer. no I'm your
2: I'm just I'm your cinematographer. I'm gonna go with that. Who
1: I, I love working with and has cinematographered uh two of my feature films on one of my documentaries so far in his life. Um and that's great. Um so Jen, where we work together I say work together, you had won um the Virgin media shorts competition oh, yeah. and it was a few years after that that you were put onto a video of like the past five years winners of the virgin media shorts and i came to direct you in that video that where we, <laughs> we recorded it on a houseboat oh yeah do you remember that and we came to was it your houseboat? it was a friend's houseboat and we came and filmed on it and then i put together the 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 like trailer bit of the last five years winners and you were one of them and that's how we met originally
3: oh well wow. i thought you looked familiar
1: <laughs> yeah we came to we came to interview you on the wonderful houseboat and you were fantastic and we all talked about uh your dog and rocket and the, the short film
3: and that was really amazing oh yeah oh good times and then they played it on the imax and that was really weird because my head was bigger than it's ever been <laughs>
1: because they had that it was like one of the final virgin media shorts right and they didn't invite me by the way so i didn't get to see that and i'd have loved to have seen it on the big screen but yes i imagine that your head not because you've got a big head but because (laughs) on that big imax screen that they were playing it must have been crazy crazy close-up shit yeah
3: yeah it was weird i could have climbed into one of my nostrils <laughs>
1: in, like real time. Um, if anyone wants to see that um, Virgin Media shorts, uh version, it is on my website. I think. I think if you oh, search, really? yeah, CharlesAlton.com, and then if you go, like, I think it's my short. It's. I think it's in the commercial section or something like that. I think it's there. I might have taken it off now because I've done more. Since Aww, then. I know I it's on my. It. I know it's on my Vimeo. I've definitely got it on my Vimeo, and I can send you a copy, and you can download it and keep it forever because it's really cool, actually. And actually, Andrew Roger. Our wonderful Andrew Roger. He shot some of the other stuff that's on there as well, but he just I didn't do did. your day.
2: that's true. So yeah. how funny it all connects. It's up. nothing personal. It's just. Is he? <laughs> it
1: feels personal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you lie. should take
1: personal <laughs> vengeance against him. I just you didn't really feel
2: should. capable of shooting that day. Um, like <laughs> uh, the standard's definitely higher on your day. The well, interestingly, better, so. that was the day.
1: Do, I don't know if you remember this, Jen, but the camera got stolen um do you remember this might be happening so as we came to set the dp on that the camera had got stolen and he came and was we'd set all the lights up and stuff and he went um giles uh i haven't got the camera (laughs) (laughs) and went, what do you mean and he went it got stolen before i'd come here i hadn't checked because why would i and i'd packed everything and the camera wasn't there. I don't know if you remember that, but there was a whole mad panic. And we had to hire another camera and bring it to you. Um, and that, that, I think the lenses were what we shot, were what Alien was shot on. And they turned up. Yeah, they turned up eventually. It was a right fucking ass with insurance and problems with that. But anyway.
3: So you're saying that you shot V with the, the lenses that Aliens were shot on?
1: We were going to. But they got oh. stolen.
3: Oh, no. Oh.
1: <laughs> and then they were found after we'd shot with you. Then we brought in some new camera equipment and lenses. Yeah, all in a box. So we were going to shoot with you on the lenses that shot Alien. I'm oh like, I rewatched that the other day. That's so funny. It's a good movie. It's it's, <laughs> it's controversial it's opinion. Transcended time. Alien. <laughs> yeah, good all movie? of us agree. It's a good movie. It's very uh, good. Well done, Ridley and the team. <laughs> uh, and they did that. So, look, the Filmmakers Podcast is a podcast where we talk to filmmakers like yourself all about how they managed to make their movies or TV series or whatever it is that we're talking about. Uh, and we do it in a way that is you know general chat like we're doing but we do it so our audience can understand and learn from what we the mistakes we made and how we can go about being better in the future and any advice we can give along the way that's it in a nutshell about what we do um we like to have fun while we do it Okay. Oh, cool. so <laughs> um and I knew you were lovely because as soon as your name came up actually when Marek from Signature sent a cr- he said oh would you like to um interview Jennifer Sheridan I was like I know the name I, and i looked at your picture and went i know this person and i had to rack my brain and go where do i know her from and then it worked out i looked and went oh virgin media shorts yeah we interviewed you so anyway um so yes yeah, so for us look we're obviously going to be talking about rose a love story or if you just call it rose i don't know we'll come to that as well okay it's fantastic me and andrew love this movie we didn't watch it together sadly nice. i think if it wasn't down, we would have done <laughs> it's right? true, true, true holding true. hands with popcorn <laughs> just a little just a little cuddle it just a little cute cuddle as we're watching it and you need it with this film it's, it's a really well made movie uh, it's incredible it's your debut as a feature filmmaker obviously you've made lots of tv and shorts as well but still it was very accomplished it's felt really well made right andrew i mean just the, the certain shots
2: yeah obviously like beautifully photographed and and we'll get to it later but one of the things was that the blocking was just so good and so efficient and so like it's just good. I would loved it. I enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Can't wait to dive into all that and talk
1: about that. But for our lovely listeners out there, they love to hear. I don't know if they love to hear. I just do it every time. I presume <laughs> they love to hear because to hear. we do it every time. But we like to jump back about how you started. And I know you went to the Brit school and I know that you worked your way in through editing. But what we don't know is how you did that, how you managed to work your way through the magical caves and those dark rooms where there's no light of the edit room. Um, Do you wanna just talk to us about your story, about why you wanted to become a filmmaker? Was there a film like Alien that inspired you to become a filmmaker in the first place?
3: It's one of those things, isn't it? Like there's obviously everyone watches films when they're kids, like the Goonies and Beetlejuice and all these stuff, and you kind of think, oh, maybe it was that, but I don't think it is that because everyone loves films when they're (laughs) kids. (laughs) Um, yeah hey you
1: guys (laughs) still amazing if any kids out there haven't watched the goonies go watch it yeah
3: it is amazing um and then when i went to the Brit school my teacher was this really inspirational guy and he was called dean peckett and he was like oh i think you'd like this film and he he gave me a dvd of a, a film called the eye it's like an Asian oh. horror.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah,
3: yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I watched it and I was like, oh my God, this is so incredible. Like it's really creepy and weird. Like at one point there's like this ghost woman with a really long tongue licking a kebab and holding a dead baby. It's like I remember what? This. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: Proper dark, weird horror stuff. Proper Asian yeah. horror Yeah. Yeah. I
3: was just like, wow. It that. was just not like anything I'd seen before. And I was, went back the next day. I was like, sir, oh, I love that film you gave me. It was like so good. And he was like, cool. Do you want to watch this Battle Royale? And I was like, yeah. And then.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: How
1: can I just ask, though, why he thought how old were you at this point? And why did he think that you might want to watch this really dark horror film uh, with the tongue rolling all the way out?
3: That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, I was what, like sixteen, seventeen? It must have come out of a conversation we had. We had a bit of a fraught relationship it, it, when we first. um I know
1: he's like this. Yeah, <laughs> I hate this girl. I know what I'm going to scare say. her away <laughs> with this. <film. laughs> scare her away with this. It's absolutely crazy.
3: Because he set he set us all this task to analyse the first five minutes of a film, and I chose Gladiator. Right and, like, mm-hmm. analysed the first five minutes yeah. of the film. And he pulled me into his office after reading my essay and accused me of plagiarising, and he said that the whole, that I'd made up a film. I was like, it's Gladiator. What?
1: This, he's also wonderful, but also an asshole at the same time. And it's yeah. uh, it's this weird juxtaposition I'm having with this guy, this relationship I'm now having. Well, exactly.
3: So <laughs> Which must
1: felt the same. I sort of
3: thought he thinks I'm a bit of a joker and, like, not taking this seriously and stuff. And I was like, no, but I am. See? I totally analysed Gladiator. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did he not believe it's a real film?
3: I, look, what doesn't make sense to me is that it would be so much harder to make up the first five minutes of the film and well, write surely. an essay about it. Uh, yeah. Than just watch one and write an essay <laughs> <about> it.
1: <laughs> totally. And plagiarise someone else's work on that would be, you know, even harder to do than actually do the work. That's crazy.
3: And so I had to bring in Gladiator and be like.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, did you bring, yeah, bring it in and show yeah, it? Yeah, I was
3: like, here's the DVD for Gladiator. I can't believe you've accused me of this. I'm outraged.
1: <laughs> I can't believe you've given me a shit mark. I worked really hard on this. Here's proof. Watch this movie, motherfucker. And then he went. I know. <laughs> he put you. He probably went home, watched Gladiator, and went, motherfucker. <laughs> right,
3: I'm going to teach her. That was his way of like trying to make up for it.
1: Great. So you watched that, and that inspired you. (laughs) This crazy Asian horror, and then battle royale. After that, to go, yeah, all right, I want to do this as some sort of career at that point. Because you were at the Brit School, did you know you wanted to do sort of move into the sort of production side of directing, or even producing, or even writing? Was it an early thing that you knew you kind of wanted to do that?
3: No, it was. It was. It was really that I was like, I thought films were super cool. Obviously. I really wanted to tell stories, but I didn't know. We had a really good radio program at the Brits. So I was like, oh, I want to I work in radio. <laughs> that, that didn't last long. <laughs> so when I went to uni, I did like a radio and television production course.
1: Just because you thought that was the way. To, yeah, you like there's, there's something really magical about yeah, radio. True. Um, I totally agree. There is. So I can see the appeal. Um, I used to do a radio show at university i used to really enjoy it i think that's why i like doing the podcast now but i used to really uh, and then i did ra- i actually t- did radio properly i did capital groups and i did the breakfast shows around the country for ages hi that was westlife <laughs> wow. hope you're having a great day it's 6 22 up early like me i did partridge every time aha
3: Fanny. never stopped
2: uh, yeah uh, <laughs>
1: I never stopped. I still do it now. It's brilliant. It's so much fun. So I can see the appeal of radio. So but then you, you were at uni doing that and you thought, oh, maybe this isn't for me, and thinking, I want to get my hands on the camera. Is that kind of what happened? Well, yeah,
3: because they didn't maybe I didn't really read the course outline, but they halfway through year one, they were like, right, now you have to choose. You have to choose between radio and TV. And I literally had two pieces of paper, one said radio and one said TV, and I was like, oh. and then I just put TV in and was like, TV, TV, and then yeah
1: and from there you kind of like uh, did you make a short film at uni or t- how did you start to make films how did you start to do it because it's always a difficult bit is going from i'm at uni and i want to make tv and films but i don't know how to do it yeah
3: and i hope that the stuff that i made at uni never sees the light of day because oh, it was so too. bad <laughs> oh, <laughs> yep. no it was it was terrible but actually what, was really, what did come out of uni that was really good was my love of editing. So I, I started editing at uni, really loved it. Um, and then I used to make like little title sequences and stuff for our multi-camera stuff. And my lecturer said, oh, I see you do motion graphics. And I was like, yeah, uh, even though i just taught myself off YouTube. And he was like, I know someone that's looking for someone to do that part-time. And I was like, okay, brilliant. So I started working for this guy, thanks to my lecturer. And then he said, do you edit? And I said, yeah, I edit. And he was like, okay, just edit this little behind the scenes thing and edit this little corporate thing. And so a year out of uni, I was working full time for this guy, like editing just random stuff that he would give me. So I was really lucky. That's really
1: lucky, but also inspirational. It's like two teachers inspired you and one actually got you work. You know, paid work, I hope. Yeah. Um, that That's fantastic. What I just t- touching on there is the fact that you taught yourself to edit. Now, I believe that all filmmakers should know how to edit. I, you don't have to be an expert editor, but if you can learn it, you, I just think you become a better filmmaker. I mean, Andy, you could edit before I could, I think, in terms of, I mean, not in terms of competition-wise, but in terms of, and I remember asking you for help. And it was the fact that a DP could edit, I felt was just wonderful. You know, I think it's so important.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm sure, Jonathan, I'm sure you're the same way. If you understand that part of it, it's such a key part of filmmaking that when you shoot, you're more efficient.
3: Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's such a great place to it's like a playground, isn't it? There's no what I love about the edit is that if something doesn't work, you can just go, well, why don't we try this? And then you try something else and that doesn't work. And it doesn't matter if it does or doesn't, at least you're exploring stuff. And sometimes an idea can spark something that does work.
1: And I love that part of it. Yeah. I, for me, it, I mean, I, I, taught myself from YouTube videos as well. And I taught myself from banging my head against the wall. I, 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 find it so frustrating, but I kept at it cause I had to, I was doing a corporate for someone and I needed the money at the time. And I just kept teaching myself, it's like, how do I do this? How do I do this? And eventually it was like, oh, and like when I started making shorts and properly doing it, I was like, oh, okay. The coverage is so important. You learn so much from editing. Just so vital that people really think about that as filmmakers and go, yeah, I'm just going to put myself on a course, or I'm going to watch YouTube videos, or I'm just going to shoot some snails in the garden, a snail race, and I'm going to edit it together. <laughs> it's a long short, <laughs> but it could win you a Virgin Media short. So there is that. um <laughs> So you went from there to going, okay, I'm I'm working in this company, I'm getting paid work to do this. How did you then move into wanting to make your own stuff and wanting to direct?
3: So. Once I, so that guy, I ended up stopped working with him because he wasn't very good at paying.
1: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, we liked him a minute ago. Well, he
3: gave me my break.
1: He did give you a break, but he's off my Christmas yeah, list
3: um So then I went freelance editing and I managed to get some TV stuff. And that was when I sort of broke into editing TV. But I really wanted to edit film and I didn't know how to do it. And I spoke to editors like Mark Day, who'd edited Harry Potter and, Mark Ecclesley, who'd done, like, This Is England, a TV show. And I, I only spoke to people called Mark. <laughs> they're the it's best. It's so important.
1: Yeah, they're yeah. the best. They're they are the yeah. best. Mark Sanger did Gravity. We spoke to him on the podcast. You know what I mean? It's really important these Marks,
3: these marks.
1: make their mark Exactly.
3: Mark Day said that he had built a relationship with a director who had then got his first feature and had taken him with him. So fought for him to to move into films. Mark Ecclesley was like, I think he went the edit assistant route where you work for editors that are already established in films and eventually they give you some scenes to cut and you get in that way it's a longer game Um, and so I, I I followed Mark Day's advice and just started editing short films for other directors trying to meet and establish a relationship with someone that would then move up and hopefully take me with them But all that ended up happening was that I was editing in my day job on TV stuff and editing in my weekends and evenings on short films. I had no life. Uh, I was developing RSI at the age of like 25, which is not good
1: oh my gosh um yeah so your fingers go yeah it's like shin splints if you're a footballer it's like your finger yeah oh even now thinking about it just just hurts and horrible yeah
3: and And i realized that i couldn't really set my future on the hope that someone else is going to make it and take it just felt too like it might never happen so i thought i'm going to make a short film and just see what happens that way uh which was rocket which won the virgin media shorts
1: that was your first ever short as yeah. a character. You're joking. It's it, it, if no one's seen this. Show, by the way, I did look on your website and I couldn't see it on there. But I definitely, I, I'll find it and I'll dig it out and I'll put it on the show notes so people can watch this. It's so wonderful. It's brilliant short that was with the, your dog. Or your dog was the lead in this as yeah. well, um, and it is a delight it's a wonderful short you can see why it won so in sort of it, uh, creative and inspiring oh, thank you. Um, that's nice d- well t- let's, t- let's talk about how you shot that then because obviously if you're editing you you kind of know some people but then you're directing so you now need to know a wonderful dp as such as andrew roger to go oh can you come and shoot this for me how did you go about finding crew and and putting that together and making it or did you just do it all yourself
3: well i i had a five D um and i knew some people yes yeah, so i asked my friend callum to come and help me so he shot with me for a day and then he couldn't make it the next time so i shot a lot of it just on my own um amazing i mean all i did for that short film was i bought a smoke machine from matlin's for 30 pounds
2: nice really we've got nice. one of those Charles. we have that, we have to yeah. share a smoke machine
3: there yeah, go. yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, what more do you need and then i built the rocket myself out of cardboard and you know, it was just me and my dog, so it was pretty easy, and and it didn't have any sounds. It just so I got I found an, an amazing composer called Cato Hoban who agreed to do a score for it for for free, which was so nice. Um, And then yeah, that was Rocket. Just this two minute little weird dog film.
1: It is genius, and how I love that you did that yourself, and so you were teaching yourself camera techniques even obviously you've new stuff bits but still to teach yourself how to you know frame it how to get the right light balance in there and all i mean yeah i mean it i mean right (laughs) yeah Yeah.
3: it was obviously like then when i won the virgin media shorts with it and i won money to make another short i was like wow i have made one (laughs) with a dog (laughs) so then i rushed off to make more shorts before spending the money on the short, because I didn't want to waste that opportunity and I knew I wasn't ready. So I went off and made a couple more shorts with like, that were very short, dialogue less, pretty much little shorts, but had actors in and had proper cameramen and, or camera people, I should say. Um, before I spent that 30 grand on a, a proper short. <laughs> That's
1: so clever. It's actually really, because most people have just gone,
3: oh, it's, it's,
1: I've got 30 grand now. Let me just go shoot another one. But you went, no, no, I want to make I want to make sure this is really good, this 30 grand and done in the right way. And as far as I remember, that short you made for 30 grand was also incredible as well. What were the two, before we get there though, what were the two or a few that you did in between? Was that still you with the 5D going around shooting them? No,
3: I had my brother-in-law, um, he had a, like a, what did he have? A cannon? 300, C300, I think you had. Yeah, so we shot we shot them on that. They were just like little, one was called Catch, and it was about a fisherman who hooks a girl through the world and pulls her in out of her boat and into his boat through like a parallel universe. That was weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you, that's what it's about, though, experimenting and doing things to try, see what happens if it doesn't work. What's Yeah. All right. and then
3: the other one was just like this kind of weird sci-fi about this futuristic game of ping pong they were okay they weren't amazing
1: but you learned what you learned from making them right yeah
3: but here's here's the thing right with acoustic kitty and i feel like a lot of filmmakers will relate to this with acoustic kitty which was the 30 grand bfi backed one i was like okay this is it now this is my break into the industry everyone's gonna love me and want to work with me and all it happened was I had a couple of meetings with agents who were like, oh, OK, what are you doing next? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Can you help me? <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, OK, nice to meet you. And, and nothing happened. And I, and I think it was a bit of a wake up call because I was like. You know, you sort of something like that happens and you think, oh, this is it. And then when it isn't, you kind of have to reset your expectations again lower than where they were. And start again and, and try and figure out what the next step is. And for me, that was I need to make another short that does. I, I sort of went on a bit of a tangent thinking maybe Acoustic Kitty wasn't festival friendly enough. So I made a, an emotional short and I thought that will work. And actually, what I was doing was it, I mean, it was a story I was passionate about, but it, it I was trying to kind of please the industry and hope that that was the right thing to do and, and it ultimately it isn't because unless you're making stories that you want to make you're not representing yourself well and it doesn't even really matter if the industry goes oh that's good or it's not good because you've set your tent up as like this is what I am and I wasn't uh, an emotional you know filmmaker there are there are filmmakers out there who make you know heart-wrenching films really well, but I am not that I'm a high concept person. I like big ideas and, and like worlds and sci-fi and horror and things that aren't totally just set in reality. So it was, it was a real journey for me. And that's why I've made so many shorts because I was trying to figure out who I was and it just took me a while.
1: It's really cool to hear, right? Andrew, because so many filmmakers sort of do try and please this is what the industry will want. This is what they'll get me the next gig. But actually with shorts, it is sometimes just about making something that you want to make. And just it, I, sometimes they have to be a calling card, but you know, you made rocket, which is fantastic, but that doesn't mean you're going to make a dog. Movie. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's all about you as a creative voice, as a filmmaker and having that as just, these are my shorts. Everyone doesn't mean I want to go make any of these into a feature. You can, but doesn't mean you want to. And that's really interesting and really lovely to hear, actually, that being honest about what you do with shorts sometimes and why people do them. And what I found is once you, and you're probably the same now, once you're trying to make that first feature and when you made that first feature, which you have, is no one cares about those shorts in the slightest. Yeah. It's irrelevant. I know. <laughs> it's fascinating. All the work and heartache you put into them and they just go, yeah, cool. You made some shorts, <laughs> did you? <laughs> like like you made a, a promo for bp garage yeah. you know that's what it means to them it's not exactly
3: and actually it's those shorts are so much more about you learning like when friends say to me now oh i'm gonna make another short i'm like okay cool make sure that you're doing one of three things like either you're learning a new skill like maybe you've never worked with a steadicam try and work with a steadicam or you know or you're establishing a, sh- a new relationship with someone that you." think could go forward like a DOP relationship or an actor relationship that you want to establish or a writer um or you're doing something that pushes and elevates what you've done before with your shorts and as long as you're in some way elevating yourself through that short because I know people that have just made shorts and and a lot of their shorts feel the same and you're like okay well why do you keep making shorts because you have to you have to be pushing yourself every time and, and not resting on your laurels and going, okay, what, what can I do this time? That's different. And that makes, that is pushing my skills further. Cause they're so fun shorts, but they're also, you know, like you said, the hard work, you hardly ever have any money and people are working for free and it's, you know, they, they can be quite heavy going, but fun, but you, you just have to know why you're doing it. I think.
1: Uh, yeah, I love that,
2: Andy. Your thoughts on that? How How did you jump from from shorts to your first feature? What was it that made that happen?
3: And what's actually funny? <laughs> <is that laughs> having said that, Acoustic Kitty wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. It is actually the way that I ended up getting my agent because I, I I'd sort of become quite like I don't need an agent. Uh, I don't need people like the BFI or, you know, I don't need all those people. Those people don't get me, you know, yeah. I'm like a renegades uh, filmmaker. <laughs> That's going to work. So when I got a call from my agent, the reason that he'd found me was because he was on Catherine Ryan's IMDb page and she was in my short acoustic kitty. And he saw that she'd been mm. in. A-
1: For those who don't know, she's an amazing comedian slash actress. She's brilliant. She's
0: very yeah.
3: fantastic. She is great. And he saw that she'd made a short, and he clicked on the short, and he saw my IMDb page. And he just reached out to me and said, can I watch this? Because I don't think it was available online. And he said, you know, and any other stuff you've got. And I was like, sure. Not really even knowing who he was and sent him the shorts. And then he said, can you come in for a meeting? And I was like, sure. Not even really knowing.
1: Are you going to talk about Catherine Ryan throughout this whole thing? Why am I here?
3: Yeah, and I, I sort of went into the meeting with a very, like, I don't really need an agent attitude. Um, and he was like, so what do you want to make? And I told him the feature that I wanted to make, which wasn't Road, but it was like a passion project that I've been working on for ages. And I was like, yeah, so that's what I want to do. And he was like, okay, cool. Well, we'd love to sign you. And I was like, oh, uh, can I think about it? He was like, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Keep the power. <laughs> Love it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: And then I went off and Googled them properly and looked at who else is on their books and was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I signed with him. I, at that point I was starting to get work as a director in commercials. So I was starting to get paid for directing work as well as editing work. And it was a bit of 50, 50, um, but then the commercial work sort of dried up and I was more editing again and feeling a bit sad. (laughs) Uh, And then he was like, "Uh, I've sent you a script. I think you should read. And I was like, okay, cool. So I read the script for Rose. I was like, well, I love, I love this. This is great. And he was like, okay, cool. I'll introduce you to Matt. You should meet. Let's see if you get on, which we did. And then the rest, as they say, is history. So, (laughs)
1: Is long road down history.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's never quick. I mean, maybe yours was. I don't know. Maybe you're going to say, no, no, it was a really quick turnaround, Giles. You know, uh, I met Matt, money going in the bank the next day, and we were filming in three weeks. Um, but I don't think you are. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so from that moment of you going, okay, I really like this script, meeting Matt, who's the writer. Uh, Matt, I want to pronounce his name right. Stokoe? Stokoe Stokoe? Yeah. Stokoe? 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 Stokoe. Okay, Matt Stokoe. You met him and Yeah, you got on really well you were like right i want to do this how did it move on from there because great you got an agent it's a really wonderful place to be to actually someone like matt can send you a great script because he's a wonderful actor as well and he understands script he understands that world so it must have helped massively that he's written this wonderful script um and then from there how are you going to go how do we find the money how does it work so if you can talk us through that it'd be wonderful
3: okay so so matt and i sort of worked on the script and sophie rundle came on board quite early because her and matt were working on jamestown together and she saw that he was writing a script she asked to read it she had some thoughts he really liked her thoughts and was like would you mind coming in on this like as a creative and so the three of us would sort of talk through script notes and ideas and they'd be like in budapest dressed like ye olde people and i'd be on this side on Skype, (laughs) Um, but it was really cool cool. and super collaborative. So we probably spent about 18 months doing that, you know, getting the script into a really good place. And once we felt like we'd done that, um, my wonderful agent, Rob Taylor, uh, because the artist partnership who are, who are an agency, they represent loads of great actors like Uma Thurman, and Emily Blunt and people like that, but they also have a development arm that kind of put people together and make projects happen. So through that, and through the fact that Idris Elba had just made a film that got into Sundance, Rob had these connections and just put the script with me attached, Matt attached, and Sophie attached out. And we managed to raise um, just over half what we thought we needed to make the film. And then we tried to find some more money which we got a bit from a company called Fields Park, who also have a post house in Wales. So they, they came on board and would do the post. Um, but we still weren't quite at the target number that we were told by a line producer we needed to make the film. But I had met these two scrappy producers called April and Sarah at the Estesica Film Festival in York, like back in 2014, I think was when we met. And I was there with Acoustic Kitty, so Acoustic Kitty, for all I've said about it, <laughs> actually it has actually
1: brought you a lot of joy here. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, this should be front and center on your website, not <laughs> it,
3: should, it? Yeah, I feel bad now. Um, but yeah, I met April and Sarah there, and they would produce loads of shorts. They were also actors and um, just really like great attitude, real can-do people. And we just made like a little short together the year before that was just for fun, Um, but it was, it was using a Trinity rig, which is comes back to what I was saying about, I really wanted to use a Trinity rig so I made a short where it's one shot with a Trinity rig.
1: Will you explain for our audience what a Trinity rig is, please?
3: So a Trinity rig is like a Steadicam, but it's on a, an arm. So it's strapped to a man (laughs) Or or a woman.
1: Oh, or no. a woman.
2: Yep. Uh,
3: and it has this sort of arm <laughs> bit to it. So it can go up and down and round corners, which is really cool because a steady cam, you know, is you're either set quite high or quite low and, and it, you can't really go up and down with it. Whereas a Trinity, you can, you can go up and down and round corners. Um, so it's really cool. It's a really cool bit of kit. 1917 was predominantly shot with Trinities. um, so that's sort of an example of yeah. what it can do. Perfect, thank yeah. you. um So yes, yeah, so I brought April and Sarah on board, and I thought with them and their tenacity and ability to get great people together, we could probably do it for the amount of money that we had. And so we thought, let's not try and raise that last hundred grand. Let's just go and shoot it for what we've got and make it happen and make it work and. And I'm so glad we did because we could have been waiting for that extra 100 grand for years and years. You just...
1: It might never come then your actors go off and do something else and that becomes a problematic you know I mean it, it's t- I love that attitude and it's really lovely to hear so many filmmakers go no no I have to make it for this budget because a line producer told me it was this or this is what it should be made or I heard in film like this was made no no make it for what you've got you can do it you can and you know you don't have to cut that many corners you still had a budget You know, you can still shoot it. You can
3: also, at that stage, adjust the script, you know. I'm not saying, obviously, if you've got, like, a massive shootout dinosaur explosion scene.
1: (laughs) Which all (laughs) my films do. (laughs) And that's,
3: like, key.
1: Andrew's not so much. (laughs) Yeah, and
3: that's key. (laughs) It's key
1: for everything (laughs) I do.
3: (laughs) But if it's not key to the story, maybe you could lose the... I, I've
1: been told I should probably lose those <laughs> sometimes. It's the first thing Andrew says. You took out the exploding dinosaur. No, I, no, no. I'm convinced yeah. we can get the 18 million for the dinosaur and then 20 pence for us to shoot the rest of it. It wouldn't yeah. be a Charles movie if it wasn't the, <laughs> 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 Sorry, it's Jennifer. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so.
3: Do you know what also really, really helps? And it comes back to what you said, Andrew, which is that when you have worked in the edit and you know the bare bones of what you can cover a scene with. If you've got 15 days to shoot a film like Rose, um, that knowledge is, I mean. Did you say you shot that in 15 days? Yeah. Wow, okay. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's
1: impressive. That's really impressive. did you just not sleep i mean you're all in that little hut just going yeah yeah that's just yeah yeah you look tired perfect i'm just gonna shoot (laughs) 15 days
3: but we would i was really economic with coverage and i tried to cover as many scenes as i could in like one or two shots like some scenes i'd covered literally in one shot because and it's scary when you do it because you're like ah I should probably like just pick this up in singles just in case I change my mind in the edit.
1: Well, you as the editor are thinking coverage, 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 you as the director going, yeah, no, I need to shoot this now. I've got to get on with it. But sometimes. Playing with your own head.
3: Sometimes those restrictions I think can really push your creativity. I think restrictions are good in filmmaking. It's, it's so weird being on this BBC show where to me, the budgets are like crazy and, and people are going, oh no, you can't, you can't do that. And I'm like, but. This is so much money, and you're telling me no. I think everything expands to meet the edges of the budget, eventually. Um, so it's half half of one, and six of the other. That's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> but it should
1: be. Yeah, it damn well it should be. So okay. So now you're going. Okay, we're going to shoot on the budget you've got. You've got your brilliant team around you, uh, Sarah and April, helping you do this. How did you then? set about because you know the location's incredible but like i'm like what where did they shoot this this is beautiful how did you plan to do this obviously you'd spent 18 months on the script getting it spot on which is vital to do that to really put your director's voice on it but also to make sure this holds up because you're playing with real money now with real people and you want to make your money back for investors and get it to a brilliant distributor like signature who are putting this out there. So how did you go about that from that stage where you're going, look, we've managed to find some money, which is incredible by the way, to do that really well done. How did you piece it all together? And uh, how, what was the lead up to the shoot?
3: Well, it was actually Sarah, my producer, Sarah, who found the location. And, and what was great about the location was that it was a privately owned wood um, with a bunch of holiday lets cottages on it. And which meant that we could live there and shoot there. Um, and then when i went to the location with sarah and we looked at it i was like okay like none of it was absolutely perfect but that exterior cottage was good and that interior of that house we could use that kitchen and that bedroom and then the bathroom in this cottage down the road is is nicer than the other bathrooms so we sort of i sort of did it like that i sort of um, i said this is our exterior cottage And the interior that we shot in was actually a three story house and the exterior was just one and a half stories. So I sort of had to create a jigsaw in my head and move the bedroom that we shot in, which was on the first floor and pretend that it was on the ground floor. So we built a wall with a door opposite the kitchen so that when they go through that door, they're actually just walking into like a backstage area. But when you cut it, it looks like they're walking into the bedroom which is on the first floor
1: the magic of it all i love this and yeah. then we
3: sort of we sort of created a in our head the house and then restricted ourselves to only shoot in the bits that would make sense to, to that house existing when it didn't absolutely whereabouts
1: was this location you don't have to say exactly if you don't want but whereabouts in the world is it, it's uk
3: it's in wales
1: it's in wales
3: yeah not too far from the brecon beacons a bit i think s- south of there
1: cool south of the brecon beacons yeah. yep yeah, Absolutely know well. <laughs>
3: no phone signal, no internet, completely cut off.
1: <laughs> it does sound amazing, which can be brilliant, but then sometimes when you do need that phone single, sig- signal, signal, um, that is really important as well because it's that it's it's kind of nice to be cut off. But yeah, if you do need that extra bit of petrol or you do need someone to bring some food and you can't contact them, it can be frustrating. Oh, yeah.
3: And then of course it snowed like really heavily. <laughs> And we were snowed in completely to this place, which we weren't expecting. We were prepared for it because my producers are geniuses, but um, we didn't expect the level of snow. And we had to really embrace it with the film and reorder the shoot so that we did all of our exterior things in the middle week or like in the middle of the shoot, which we'd planned to do at the end. But we had to get them in before the snow disappeared for continuity. And it was quite crazy but it really lends like a, a different look to the film that we weren't expecting which is cool
1: it, it's magical Andy you'll talk about that, it, this in a second i'm sure but uh, for me I w- I w- it looked like scandinavian you know it, it's so beautiful it really did andy please jump in and say how amazing it looked
2: how did you meet martina
3: she was introduced to me by april and sarah because she worked on a short that they'd produced
1: oh she did pandorica oh, okay and the last passenger right yes i've heard of her she's great okay she's
3: fantastic and she she really relishes not using too much light uh like she she kind of um works really well with restrictions she's also i mean such a workhorse you can't get her to put the camera down you're like martina just put it down (laughs) take five minutes rest your back
1: I like the sound of this. I like the sound of this. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be giving me ideas, Um, (laughs) Jen. This is great. No, but some, you, you know, like you say, it seems like you have found a real team player there. What was the first conversation you had with her in terms of, you know, designing the look of this and talking about how you're going to shoot it? Because that's really important as well. Or working with your cinematographer, they are your right-hand person on the
3: shoot. It was more about like the the biggest challenges we faced were lighting forests at night. So it was talking about that, and um I I showed her it comes at night and said, look, they've used a lantern here, which is great because it throws light all around, which lights the face of the person holding it. And she was like, okay, great. So we did some tests. I, I ordered a bunch of lanterns off Amazon, and we did some camera tests to see which ones kind of. We're working. Um, yeah, she's just she's just like, she's really smart. And she she's very adaptable and, and like has just great ideas. And it was a bit of a match made in head, heaven. Really? Yeah, I,
2: I I think her work on this is just incredible. Like, I chose to tell you this, I don't love a lot of DPS work, but watching that it's just, ah, so tasteful and so brave. And the stuff with the lantern. Um, you know, and, and the stuff in the woods where you you let the woods go dark and, and that's how woods are at night. It makes perfect sense. You know, uh, it's, yeah, I, I loved it. It was fantastic. T- talk to me about, um, so the scenes where your actors had a lantern and they were lighting themselves in the, the scene, how did you block that through? How did you talk that through with them?
3: I, I'd sort of been to a place during the day where I knew I wanted to film the scene and then sort of walk them through where I wanted them to start and where I wanted them to end um you know part of it's like there's a bit where you know when they're sort of on their date and they're talking about what they do on holiday and like they sort of end up at this frozen lake and it's so beautiful and you it is hard to see that it's a lake in the film I I don't even think you really do see that it's a lake so they sort of stop and the camera just moves around them and And then it's behind them by the time they hear this noise and they turn. It was just it was just getting the timing of stuff like that right with them, really. But I mean, Matt and Sophie are such pros. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to do it in 15 days with without having actors of that caliber. I mean, they they are just amazing. You know, they they only need a couple of takes and they nail it every time. They're so great. So that helped a lot.
1: But you must have done rehearsals with them before. Did you talk, I mean, like say, you working when you're working through the script with them for the 18 months beforehand, whenever Sophie was on those calls with you, it sounds like she was on them a lot with Matt. So therefore, you had all that time to work through the sort of the nuances. But did you also do rehearsals as well? You know, once you actually got the money and you could get it up on its feet before you got to set.
3: Like you say, because they'd both been so... I mean, Matt had written it and then Sophie had come and brought everything that Sophie brought to it. So they knew that script inside out, you know, they discussed it to every inch and every line and they knew it inside out, which obviously helped a huge amount. So we did we did sort of read through stuff and we blocked block stuff, but there wasn't a huge amount of rehearsals. They just didn't need it. Well, let's, um, let's
1: just describe what Rose is for people who don't know, and then we can play the trailer. Shall, shall, I, shall I tell people what it's about in my partridge voice? No, because no, that'll yeah, ruin yeah. it. it gripped <laughs> by a violent, terrifying illness. No, no, no because right. it ruins it. Right. It's funny, I enjoyed but this that, is a brilliant film yeah, and it deserves it a, the yeah. love I enjoyed of it, that. Uh, doing it in a proper paid-for advertising voice. Gripped by a violent terrifying illness rose lives in seclusion with her husband but the arrival of a stranger shatters the fragile refuge they have built
0: you're a good man i'll love you forever why are you being weird? Hmm. i want you to take me out and what was the food like
2: like really fancy fruit
3: <laughs> come on what
2: Eat, please. You know, like, um, uh, (laughs) lychee.
3: (laughs) Yeah, okay, fair, fancy fruit. What else?
2: Grilled octopus.
0: And what is the weather like?
2: So warm that you could sit outside and you could smell all the food cooking on the grill and smell the salt water coming from the sea. There's just no way that I'm going to leave you on your own for two days, I'm sorry.
0: I want you to.
2: What if something happens to you? Sam.
0: It wouldn't be your fault. Rose? Help Help me! Help me! Help me! Help
2: me! I found someone. It's a girl. Oh my God. We need to get rid of her.
3: Why do you live like this? The windows, the lights, the traps. Rose?
1: We have for dessert <laughs> so you look obviously people can hear from the trailer it's so well made it's really professional film and, and i'm still blown away it's your debut i love the fact that i met you you know during that time of you talking about trying to make other movies and the fact that you've delivered this incredible film um is just an absolute delight and the fact that it's getting all the love it is doing is, is amazing it's totally deserved it's a beautiful film
3: it really does mean a lot to hear that so thank you
1: you know it, it it it's really great honestly you should be very proud of this movie I can't wait for people to see it I can't wait for it to come out on April the 5th it's great it's great it's great so let's talk about the making of it then itself while we've still got time before Merrick comes on and tries to kick us off um the, the actual because you like I say this is a wonderful achievement to raise the money and go we're going to go shoot this for what we've got and you've got an amazing team with you and two incredible actors here. And they are both amazing in terms of what they've worked before and in this. So let's talk through your your work as a director then in terms of your prep and your planning. Do you storyboard everything? Do you shot list within an inch of its life? Or do you are you quite free? And obviously you only had 15 days here, so you must have been quite uh, on it. Talk us through your process here and your planning stage and what did you learn from it?
3: Well, um, I I shot list everything and then I storyboard the more complicated sequences so that I've got them in my head. Um, but then I tend to sort of once we stepped on set, I would quite often like the story, the shot list is there as a guide of what I know I need and what I'd like to have. But quite often I'm like, oh, but this would be so much better if we did this and or if we could make this all work in one and like really working with what's in front of you on the day. But having that sort of having done your homework, so, you know, bare bones, I could cover the scene like that and it would be successful. Um, And if we had time, I'd love to also do this shot here and this kind of thing with the camera to come into it and, and out of it and that kind of thing but then I, it always ends up changing because as soon as you step on set with your DP and you go, oh, that's where the light is. Oh, in my, in my shot list, that wasn't there. So now we need to move people here. And, you know, being really adaptable, I think is such a, such a big part of filmmaking. And, and quite often just not having too many expectations of things in your head, like having a very loose idea So that when you come on, you're not holding on too tightly to anything and you can kind of just go, okay, yeah, that's not going to work. Like, how should we do this and figuring it out in the day is really fun. So, yeah, so that's sort of how I have continued to work is I shot list everything so that it's all in my head as a bare bones. And then as soon as I talk to a DOP, it starts to change and move. And then on the day it changes and moves again, once you see the actors and what they want to do and how they want to move and how the environment works. So yeah, that's
1: how I work. Perfect. Absolutely, same as me. I, I, and it really is important to do that homework first, like I say, and then throw it out. But yeah, absolutely, it's it's really right. How did you cope on set? Because it's something that we often don't talk about is the difficulties of actually having your brain on fire for, in this case, solidly for 15 days. It's really difficult um, and it, it, someone, I think I've probably said this. It's like comparing it to organizing someone's wedding, but the bride keeps running away <laughs> and she's on a horse and you've only got bare feet and you're on, on you're on that ice pond that we couldn't see in the movie <laughs> and you're slipping and you've got to get them right. That's, you know, a perfect example. And there's exploding dinosaurs going off behind you. Um, <laughs> so how did it feel? How did you cope mentally, physically and what, could you, you know, tell us what you've learned from that and taking forward to your next film?
3: What I was really worried about was, I was worried that I was going to get tired and that my brain would start to slow down. And I would, cause I'd never done something that was 15 days before. I'd only ever done like four days of shooting in a row. And I was like, what's that going to be like that ended up not being a problem because actually the process itself was so exciting and invigorating that every day I woke up with energy ready for the day. But there was definitely a moment, I remember it very clearly, I was stood on a, in the forest on a hill. Um, we were losing light. One of the props, I think Matt's axe had been left on the other side of the forest and, and we had to go and get it. And there was this sort of deer carcass prop that had just been taken out of the box. And it, it was supposed to be a, a special prop that we'd spent quite a bit of money on. That had a pump so that it could look like it was still breathing and it was dying. And when we opened the box, there was no pump. <laughs> so <it> was like... <laughs> uh, okay, so it's so it's dead. This is an example of me trying to hold on to an expectation because I was like, no, oh, no, no, there's something we can do. Like you could be off screen with a stick, just like poking its chest. So and that obviously didn't work. And and, and, and then suddenly, like someone came to me with a costume question and there was another question coming at me. And it was like a really overwhelming moment because I was sort of disappointed by that. And then this and the prop and everything. And, and I remember just for a moment, sort of my eyes sort of slightly glazing over and, and in my head, panic stations. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. And in that, it was so crazy because at that time, our script supervisor fell over and dislocated her knee.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, the pain of that. I Fuck.
3: know. And she was this really, like, stoic Irish girl. And she was like, don't worry. I'm just going to pop it back in. Give me a second. Oh, j- Jesus. fuck's sake. But it was like, suddenly <laughs> that was the priority. Like, make sure she was okay. Get the medic up here. And once all was okay, it totally refocused my mind. And I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. The dude's dead. I've given up. That's
1: fine. Not, not, not Orla, the yeah. deer, just so we clear exactly. here. Yeah, great, great.
3: um Let's string yeah. up the blood here. We'll shoot this scene here. We'll have him bury the thing over here. And it, it was like, it just refocused my mind. It was, thank you, Orla, for dislocating <laughs> <on> me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she bought me some time. And you could get your head back in that. Because it does happen to us all the time. And I remember on The Dead, my first movie, my debut movie, and I had that moment where I had no idea what I was doing. Just one of those blank moments. And I turned to Andy and he, I just went,
2: Andy, Andy,
1: I'm lost. And he went, no, you're not. This is the plan. Remember, we talked about it last night. You're going to do the wide from here. And then you come in the close-up, remember, and you're going to do it. And I went, thank you. And it sometimes needs either someone to dislocate their knee or someone else to, to remind th- you what we talked about last night over dinner
2: yeah it's the same remind thing you,
1: it's <laughs> a very similar very similar i don't know where i was going with that but it does it's sometimes having people around you or having your the mindset to just stop for a moment and go it's okay you're allowed to have these moments you're allowed to do that it's okay to say i don't know just give me a minute let me think or say yes to something and then change your mind and go actually Nah, nah, I've changed my mind. I know you've just spent ages putting your blood on that, or I know you've spent ages art directing that, but I've changed my mind. It's okay to do it as long as you do it in the right way, to say it's going to be better for the film. I'm not doing it to piss you off.
3: No, do you know what you're so right? Because since that I've spoken to other directors and I was and I've told them that story and they've been like, oh my God, yeah, I had that exact same thing on this show that I was doing. I think because you're making a million decisions a second as a director, and everyone comes to you with the questions and you feel that you feel that responsibility of, that you need to have answers, even when you don't know the answer immediately in that moment. Like it could be as simple as someone coming and saying, do you want this green top or this red top for the next scene? And you just go, mm. but you have to go red top. And then when you see it on screen, you're like, um, have you got that green top? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, I said red. I didn't mean red. What I meant was green red. Yeah, like, green. exactly. Yes, correct. But also it's so true but you're allowed to do that.
3: Yeah. Have you guys read a book called True so it's called True Indie Life and Death in Oh, True yeah. Indie.
1: Dan Coscarelli, that's it. Yes. Yeah, yes, I've read that one. It's really it's good. Really yeah, good. really good. Book. And
3: what I love about his book is is that he kind of he's really relatable, but he also at the end he gives you this like five page like quick film school on how to shoot an indie film and the rules that you should do. And uh, I was breaking every rule that he was like, he was like, try not to shoot for more than four days. We were doing like six day weeks. He was like, try not to have dialogue pages that are more than like dialogue scenes that are more than three pages. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, and all of this stuff. And, it, and it, it really threw me. I mean, it was a great book, but it really threw me before the film because I thought oh, I'm doing this all wrong, but it's too late.
1: Fuck it. Rules are there to be broken.
3: Right? Definitely. Yeah.
1: And you, you, like I say, you've made a brilliant film and you've, like I say, you learnt from that. What what would you tell yourself now looking back and what could you tell people moving forward? Sort of if you could have a word with yourself now of a young Jennifer (laughs) going about to make this film to the older Jennifer. (laughs) Is there anything you would uh, advise her on?
3: I would say trust your instincts and stop and don't worry about like, try not to worry about other people's expectations, just set your own expectations. And then if you can meet those, or at least feel like you've done the best in every scenario that you could with the tools that you have and the knowledge that you have at that moment, don't beat yourself up afterwards because you have the power of hindsight, you know, just just be trusting of yourself and your instincts because at the end of the day in those moments that, you, that we just spoke about that's what you're relying on and when they pay off it's so incredible when you get into the edit and you go oh I really risked that only covering that scene with one shot but it totally works and it's actually my favorite part of the film that's so rewarding it's so, it's such a good feeling
1: yeah, no, it so is, and I was lucky on the day to have Andy there a few times. When I'd said I'm just doing one shot on this, I'm just having the coverage, You're just going to follow the boy all the way on this one long lens. And I, I remember at one point on that, and Andy, I'm sure I remember this, and I just went, "Oh, Andy, I really, I'm really worried about the edit now, My Edit." I was like, "Oh, I, shoot, let's put a different lens on. Let's shoot this." And Andy, can you remember what you said to me?
2: I, I, I don't know. Was it near lunchtime? Because it's. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think it was something like, fuck off, mate. We decided this was great. You know oh, yeah. it's great. Trusting yourself. stick right? If you've got one. Stick to the plan. If you've got one, yeah. But you did. You did say that. And it's so important. And it's just trusting your gut. You're so right. And it's learning from that and going, yeah, I, I know what I want from this. And, okay, if I'm wrong in the edit, fine. I'll be it. It's my sword. I'll live and die by it. But being that wishy-washy thing where you're kind of going, oh, I'm hedging my bets. And then in the edit, you think, well, I could put it in. But then you don't, you know what I mean? It's actually saving time on set, but also in the edit of you giving yourself too many choices can be a problem. I guess
2: you save energy of of the crew as well, right? I mean, if you're, and and your cast, you know, if you're not doing 18 takes of something or loads of coverage, you can
1: go, right, done that, move on. And actors love it, right? Let's talk about your actors real quick um, in terms of that and that process for them must have been amazing, right? Saying, cool, cool. We're in here. We're just going to probably get one take or two. Go for it. Because it is heightened performances as well. You know, it's right, it's out there. It's beautiful. It's controlled. But, you know, there's a lot going on.
3: So Matt and Sophie are in a relationship in real life as well as in the film. Yeah. In fact, they're, they're um, going to have a baby soon, which is... Very sweet. Amazing! How cool is um, that? Yeah, but yeah. So, in on one side, that was great because all those intimate scenes and those shorthands and those little intimate moments were just like so easy to handle because they they know each other in that really special way. Um, but then, when it comes to the scenes where something awful happens to one or both of them, they feel it a lot more in a personal way. And I hadn't anticipated that I hadn't anticipated that asking them to do numerous takes of something quite where something horrendous is happening to someone that you love in real life is going to take a real toll on you. And it, it took them coming to me and saying, look, I've got one more of this and that's it. And I, I was like, okay. And I just had to respect that because if an actor comes to you and says, I've got one more of this and that's it, then that's, then that's it. I, th- I just, I don't agree in those kind of directors who will just be an actor up for the sake of a shot that they like, or, you know, I think you have to be really respectful of people and, and take them at their word because Matt and Sophie want the film to be fantastic. Of course they do because they're invested in it. They were working for free and all of this stuff. So if they come and say, we cannot, cannot do much more of this you i was like okay fine and i just adjusted i was like okay cool well what do i need now for this to complete and make sure that i've got it and just yeah just trusting them and being open and communicative with them and asking them you know like there was a scene that's very violent towards the end of the film and i knew i had missed a shot there was a shot that i needed and, and I knew it was a big ask to, to say, I need you to go back into this really intense scene right in the middle of it, just so I can pick up a shot. So I did a cut of the scene in order to show them, you know, the scene and say, look, this is where it's missing. I'm so sorry I didn't get it on the day. It was a continuity thing because the blood was at this level at that point And, you know, and I just missed it. Um, can we, can we do it? And I think it was... The, that level of respect that said that sort of got them to go, Yeah, okay, yeah, we can do that now that we understand why we can do it.
1: Absolutely, that explanation and talking and being honest and open. And because you showed them the scene, they probably went, Well, this is great. I can see now if you put drop that in, it will work, uh, probably better for this scene. Yeah, it's so important having that open communication and being the voice on set, you know, that can do that, and also later you know it's you, you these films will stay with you forever you know you talk about this film in 20 years time so therefore it, it, you have you love it and do everything and nurture it and and it's about having the respect of everyone else who's working on it with you and treating them in the right way so it, it's lovely to hear it's really nice and you can see that everyone worked really hard on it and it's and it's a it does pay off in spades
3: Another benefit to being a a director or a filmmaker who can edit is that at the end of the day, if I wasn't sure I had the coverage for something, if there was any doubt in my mind, I'd go straight to the edit where the DIT station was, cut it together really roughly and just go, okay, I've got it or I haven't got it because we didn't have money for pickups. Once those walls were painted, that was it. So that editing thing is just, yeah, really, really helpful. Unless you can afford an editor which would be great
1: next time for sure. And I imagine the next film is already up and sort of in the beginning stages of moving forward. Right. I take it.
3: I'm doing this TV show, which is taking up the rest of this year, but I've got, I've got some.
1: Wow. The rest of this year. Yeah. Holy moly. Okay. (laughs) No, you can't talk about it. This is great news. I can't wait to hear. Uh, That's great. Okay, cool. So yes, that's taking up that time. So therefore you can be developing something in the background, I suppose. Yeah, and
3: I've got a few irons in development fires that I've been nurturing for many years um, that hopefully will be ready once I'm free again.
1: Does it, does it involve Exploding Dinosaurs? <laughs> that's,
3: that's what it's called. It's called Exploding Dinosaurs. <laughs> it's called Exploding Dinosaurs. You stole my idea.
1: <laughs> um, that's amazing.
3: <laughs> Don't tell me you wouldn't go and see a film called Exploding Dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I think
1: so many listeners are going, that's wow. a really good title. All right, put it, I'm putting it out there. If anyone wants to go and use that title, Exploding Dinosaurs, you can with my blessing, but you have to let me know you're doing this.
3: <laughs> That's it has the rule. to be a noir detective uh, caper. <laughs> cool. Yes,
1: it can't be anything to do with pyrid dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> this has been so much fun thank you so much honestly uh, uh, this has been a real joy it's a real lovely to talk to you again after all this time but also uh, to see how much you've grown and to see you know you turn into this wonderful wonderful filmmaker uh, as well um, and thank you for your oh, time no, it's
3: really really fun I really enjoyed it and I hope that any filmmakers watching can learn from something my mistakes
2: yeah, I mean, loads of good advice in there for sure. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so much. Um, you're on Twitter, aren't you? I think it says here you are. Um, uh, can you let people know your handle and then people can follow you, find out more information about the film, but also then say thank you for doing this
0: podcast.
3: Okay. Yeah, my Twitter handle is really embarrassing, though. It's um okay. Well, it's currently at filmineer, which is terrible. Uh, but it soon going to be at Exploding Dinosaurs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. It's already taken. It'll be too but long. It's a
3: bit long, to yeah. A bit on long. On and then <laughs> my Instagram is Jen underscore <laughs> I
1: really embraced it. You can also change I'm that. not going to. You embraced it. What it, No, please don't now. it should be stuck and forever. Uh, you can follow me at Giles Alderson, which is my name. Um, uh, and you can follow Andrew Roger at. I'm too good for it. No. <laughs> too big time. Uh, you can follow him at 35 millimeter DOP, which is not big time, which is not uh, come and find me at all. Uh, you can follow the podcast at filmmakers pod do come and do that if you've enjoyed this tell your friends that's how we grow and remember you can go out there and make your indie film just as jennifer has done you really really can and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the elevator back down Uh, jennifer thank you so much for your time really appreciate it you've been amazing this has been such a brilliant guest thank you you. i really
3: really enjoyed it
1: Rosa love story is out on april the 5th uh, which could be right now. So, do go watch it. Do go support indie filmmakers. It's so important to do that. Right, we will see you next Tuesday. As always, thank you so much for joining us. This has been amazing. Take care, Andrew. Bye bye. Uh, take care, Jenny. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> bye, everyone. Bye. See you next Tuesday.